Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 through chapter 21, verse 16. Verses 29 through 34. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy upon us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still, and called them, and said, What will you that I shall do unto you? They said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them, and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Burkett notes, This chapter concludes with a famous miracle wrought by Christ upon two blind men in the sight of a great multitude which followed him, where observe one, the blind men's faith in acknowledging Jesus to be the true Messiah, for so much the title of the Son of David signifies. Observe two, their fervency in crying so earnestly to Christ for mercy and healing. Have mercy upon us, thou Son of David. A true sense of want will make us cry unto Christ for help earnestly and with undeniable importunity. Observe three, the great condescension of Christ towards those poor blind men. He stood still, he called them, he had compassion on them, he touched their eyes and healed them. A mighty instance of Christ's divine power. He that can open blind eyes with a touch of his finger and that by his own power is really God. His touch is an omnipotent touch. Observe four, Although Christ well knew the condition of these blind men, yet before he will restore them to sight, they must sensibly complain of the want of sight and cry unto him for mercy and healing. Learn hence that although Christ perfectly knows all our wants, yet he takes no notice of them till we make them known to him by prayer. Observe 5. The best way and course which the blind men take to express their thankfulness to Christ for a covered sight. They followed him. Learn thence that mercy from Christ is then rightly improved when it engages us to follow Christ. This should be the effect of all salvation wrought for us. He prayeth God best that serveth and obey him most. The life of thankfulness consists in the thankfulness of the life. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Burkett notes. The former part of this chapter gives us an account of our Savior's solemn and triumphant riding into the city of Jerusalem. We observe that in all our Savior's journeys and travels from place to place, he constantly went, like a poor man, on foot, without noise and without train. Now he goes up to Jerusalem to die for sinners. He rides, to show his great cheerfulness in that service, and his forwardness to lay down his life for us. But what doth he ride upon? An ass, according to the manner of great persons among the Jews, but especially to fulfill the prophecy, Zechariah 9.9. 9 that the Messiah, a king of the Jews, should come riding upon an ass. But this ass was a colt, the foal of an ass, on which never man had rode before, says St. Mark, chapter 11, 12. 
signifying thereby that the most unruly and untamed creatures become obedient and obsequious to him, and upon a borrowed ass, the use of which he demands, thereby manifesting his sovereign right to all the creatures. And accordingly, he bids his disciples tell the owner of the ass that the Lord hath need of him, not our Lord, but the Lord, that is, he that is the Lord of all, whose are all the cattle upon a thousand hills, he that is, Lord of all the beasts, and the owners too. Observe farther, notwithstanding Christ's supreme right to the ass and to the colt, he will have neither of them taken without the owner's knowledge, or against his will, but the disciples must acquaint him with it, and by a double argument move him to it. 1. Christ's right or dominion and sovereignty over them. He is the Lord that sends for them. 2. His present occasion for them. The Lord has need of them. Note also here a wonderful instance of Christ's prescience or foreknowledge, even in the most minute and smallest matters. 1. Ye shall find a colt. 2. On which no man ever sat. 3. A colt tied and bound with its dam. 4. In the place where the two ways meet. 5. As they entered the village. 6. That the owner should be willing to let him go. Such an exact knowledge had Christ of persons and actions, even of the circumstances of actions. Verses 4 through 5. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughters of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Burkett notes, Here the reason is assigned why Christ rode upon the ass into Jerusalem. It was to fulfill the ancient prophecy that the Messiah, or king of the Jews, should come riding upon that beast into Jerusalem. There was not any prophecy of Christ more plainly fulfilled than this. The prophecy alluded to is Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Where note the character given of the Messiah. He is the supreme king and governor of the church. Thy king cometh. The errand that he comes upon bringing salvation, and the entertainment which his church was to give him, namely to receive him with triumphs of joy and universal acclamations. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion, and shout, O Jerusalem, for joy. Verses 6 through 9. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereupon, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Burkett notes. Observe here, one, the obedience of his disciples and the motion of the multitude. The disciples never dispute their Lord's command, nor raise objections, nor are afraid of dangers, but speedily execute their Lord's pleasure, and find everything according to their Lord's prediction. When our call is clear, our obedience must be speedy. What God commands, we are not to dispute, but to obey. The disciples did as Jesus commanded them. Observe, too, the action of the multitudes in acknowledging Christ to be their king, 
they cast their garments upon the ground for him to ride upon, according to the custom of the princes when they ride in state. But they do not only disrobe their backs, but expend their breath in joyful acclamation and loud hosannas, wishing all manner of prosperity to this meek but mighty king. In this princely, yet poor and despicable pomp, doth our Savior enter into the famous city of Jerusalem. Oh, how far was our holy Lord from affecting worldly greatness and grandeur! He despised that glory which worldly hearts fondly admire. Yet because he was a king, he would be proclaimed such, and have his kingdom confessed, applauded, and blessed. But that it might appear that his kingdom was not of this world, he abandons all worldly magnificence. O glorious yet homely pomp, O meek but mighty prince. Verses 10 and 11. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Burkett notes, This is not the first or only time that Jerusalem was moved and troubled at the appearance of Christ. At his birth, Matthew 2, we read, All Jerusalem was troubled, together with Herod. And now that he rides into Jerusalem, though in so mean a port, yet there is a new commotion. Jerusalem, instead of being thankful for his company, is troubled at his presence. Thence learn that such persons and places as have the greatest help and privileges afforded to them are not always the most answerable in their returns of thankfulness. It is not Christ's presence with us, but his welcome to us that makes us happy. Christ is daily taught in our synagogues and preached in our streets, yet, alas, multitudes are ignorant of him, and say with the men of Jerusalem, when Christ was before their eyes, Who is this? Verses 12 and 13. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it into a den of thieves. Burkett notes, Our blessed Savior, having entered Jerusalem, observe, his first walk was not to the palace, but to the temple, and his work there was to purge and reform. All reformation of manners must begin first at the house of God. Our Lord's business was to reform the temple, not to ruin it. Places dedicated to the service of God, if profaned and polluted, ought to be purged from their abuses, not pulled down and destroyed because they have been abused. But what was the profanation of the temple which so offended our Savior? Answer. Within the third or outward court of the temple, there was a public mart or market held where were sold oxen, sheep, and dove, and such things as were needed for sacrifice. Many of the Jews coming a hundred miles to the temple, it was burdensome to bring their sacrifices so far with them. Wherefore, order was taken by the priests that sheep and oxen, meal and oil, and all other requisites for sacrifice should be had for money close by the altar, to the great ease of the offerer. Nothing could be more plausible than this plea, but the fairest pretense cannot bear out a sin with God. Therefore, our blessed Savior, in indignation at so foul an abuse, whips out these chapmen, casts down their tables, and vindicates the honor and reputation of his father's house. Learned thence that there is a reverence due to God's house for the owner's sake and for the service's sake. Nothing but holiness can become that place where God is worshipped in the beauty of holiness. Observe lastly the reason why our Savior gives for this act of his. For, he says, it is written, 
my house shall be called a house of prayer, whereby prayer is to be understood the whole worship and service of Almighty God, of which prayer is an eminent and principal part. That which gives domination to a house is certainly the chief work being done in that house. Now, God's house being called a house of prayer certainly implies that prayer is the chief and principal work to be performed in his house. Yet must we take heed that we set not the ordinances of God at variance one with another. We must not idolize one ordinance and vilify another, but pay an awful respect and regard to all the institutions of our Maker. Verses 14 through 16. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read, Out of the mouth of babes and suckling thou hast perfected praise? Burkett Notes Observe here, 1. That our blessed Savior works his miracles not secretly in a corner, but openly in a temple, and submits them to the examination of all persons' senses. A miracle is a supernatural action, which is obvious to sense. Popish miracles are talked of by many, but seen by none. Observe, too, that Christ's enemies are never more incensed than when his divine power is most exerted, and his divine nature owned and acknowledged. When the chief priests saw the miracles which Jesus did, and heard the children crying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were sore displeased. Observe 3. That Christ can glorify himself by the mouth of babes and sucklings. He can form and fit up what instruments he pleases to show forth his excellence, and celebrate his praises. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. <laughs> 